Uh, there was nothing else at all in the whole world but football. Hi guys, welcome to the Triple F show where I'm joined by Matt to talk about the FA Cup goal scoring keepers, although I do mention Tafarel was one of those before finding out he hadn't actually scored a goal in his career, so apologies for that. Uh, new TV deals in Spain and the Premier League and a little bit on the DFB Pokal, La Liga and Ligue 1 title races. Hope you all enjoy and thanks again for listening to the Triple F. I missed the Cavani goal, um, but apparently it was a bit of a screamer. It, if you not had a chance to look at it yet, it's um, yeah, it was pretty insane. It's about forty yards out, yeah. and uh, from De Gea as well. So that's pretty impressive. A goal scorer in return from goalkeepers. <laughs> you yeah, know, obviously football. That's quite rare, but they're like buses that come come along uh, at once, especially with you know um, Allison's goal at the weekend as well and now De Gea with an assist but yeah it was a lovely goal keeper wasn't too far out as well so I'd definitely urge you to check it out it's one of the goals of the season for me yeah no I definitely have to check it out I mean like I said I missed it but um yeah Sky Sports were making a lot of noise about it so it must have been something special so yeah yeah and it's nice to crowds were in as well for the first time as well so that was nice to see so he's, he's soon become a firm favourite at Old Trafford I would say when he went to United, I did the typical sort of rival fan kind of reaction where I thought, ah, you know, he's not really going to do that good. He's, you know, over his sort of prime years, he's pretty much over the, over the hill. Uh, and he's completely proven me wrong. And I imagine a lot of other fans that thought a similar thing. But yeah, he, he's, yeah, he's kind of done incredible since he's been at United. So it's he's great, a bit, great bit of business, really. I don't know. They have a habit of, you know, bringing in Henrik Larsson, for instance, on, on the back of his primes, Latan as well, you know, and, and we seem to have, um, you know, that sort of third act in, in, in a player's career seems to do quite well at United. So he seems to be, um, yeah, like he's he's not averse to the weather. He signed another contract extension, so hopefully he does he does well for his next season as well. Yeah, yeah, definitely. You still in need of a, another striker? Do you reckon? Oh, yeah, I'd say so. I think that's uh, it's a fair enough, fair enough assumption. Um, Greenwood's, you know, insanely good so far this season. He's been he's been a revelation. Um, but I say a revelation. It's always been known. He's been talented. Um, just just needed the stage to prove it. Um, and obviously Rashford. But then we don't have that out and out striker. You know, in much the same way as the City are struggling with at the moment. But. Um, yeah, it'll be an interesting transfer window in the summer, especially in Manchester, to see who comes and who goes where. Harry um, Kane, the man for you? Yeah, it'd be uh, it'd be lovely. He'd um, you know he'd do well. He'd do well anywhere. To be fair, you know he's a, he's a top quality player. So if he came to United, I wouldn't be uh, too dissatisfied. I think I think he'd do well for us. Yeah, I think I think though if City were involved and perhaps like. A PSG, a club like that, with that sort of um, financial clout, yeah, it'd be difficult for United to keep up, really. But um, I can see him going to more like a city, perhaps a Bayern Munich, even or um, or, or a PSG, like I mentioned. But yeah, it really depends who who wants him the most, really. Definitely, definitely. I, I think he's probably one of those 
people who who won't necessarily want to play against Tottenham, you know, and, and won't want to do a disservice to Tottenham. He's one of those loyal sort of players that's, that's done his time for a club and he won't want to sort of start up against them uh, next season. So you're right, I think it will be a, a Barcelona, Real Madrid, PSG type scenario. Um, Spain, if they can raise the funds, because I think um, obviously Barcelona is struggling for money. So if they can raise the funds, then that would be an ideal fit for, for him. Mm. Yeah, it's definitely one uh, we'll have to keep an eye on. I think this summer is going to be, yeah, quite incredible because obviously there's the likes of Haaland and um, Sancho that are possibly sort of touted for big moves as well. So I think there's going to be a lot of um, big uh, signings this uh, this summer. But yeah, we'll just keep an eye on it. It's been an interesting season, hasn't it, financially? I think people have held back and I think um, they've, you know, they've moulded their teams and their approach to the transfer budget accordingly I think given that the finances were were so you know strict at the, at the time but now I think people are chairman owners are they're waking up to the possibility that this isn't going anytime soon and they need to consolidate so you're right I think it will be a summer of um, you know Sancho Haaland um, Andre Silva from Frankfurt he's going I think I can't imagine him staying another season especially with their poor finish to the season but um, yeah there's going to be a lot of changes yeah, definitely. All right, you mentioned it already. Um, Allison uh, getting that that incredible header in the last kick of the game. I suppose it was. It was you know right at the the death of the game. But um, yeah, it was a weird stat as well because I didn't realise, and I was quite surprised by this. But apparently, he was the first ever goalkeeper to score for Liverpool. Okay. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I haven't um, I haven't seen that stat, but yeah, that doesn't surprise me. It's not as if uh, Liverpool find themselves on the back foot very often in, in their history, I suppose. So they don't necessarily need to do that. But um, yeah, it's a, it was an incredible goal, wasn't it? It was um, an absolute. He was up like a salmon. He, he, he really caught caught that well. Um, so yeah, it wasn't surprising. West Brom were were, were shocking in defence, though. I mean, it's uh, if if there was ever a team to to gift a goal, it was it was that one. But uh, yeah, it was an impressive one. So yeah. I like I like the stat as well. Actually, that um, he, he scores more frequently than um, Jamie Carragher <laughs> on his, his goals to game ratio. <laughs> um, Rich Jolly on Twitter mentioned, so that was funny. Um, but yeah, yeah, it was a good one. Yeah, the amount of, um, you know, he's got the same amount of goals as William. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the amount of sort of memes that have been making its rounds around the internet are, are quite um, laughable. So it's good. But yeah, no, it surprised me that, that the fact that he was the first ever uh, goalkeeper to score for Liverpool, especially when they ha- they've had the likes of um, Grobelar and David James that kind of like a bit of a foray out of there out of their box from time to time. So I was, I was a little bit surprised by that. Yeah. James was that, that famous, um, you know, substitution where he got uh, subbed in, to go up front. That was uh, pretty impressive as well. Who, who was that for? Was that with, was it Man Portsmouth? City. Man City, yeah, in like 2006. Or so. It was yeah. Stuart yeah. Pearce was the manager, yeah. That was um, faintly ridiculous, I think. Some of the challenges he was throwing in as well. And uh, get, I remember giving away that free kick as well. <laughs> Things like that. Yeah, I don't think he was built for it. He came on Twitter as well saying it, it, it was blaming the service that he received at the time that he didn't get the goals. But yeah, <laughs> he has the stature for it though. So it's surprising he didn't uh, get more success really. 
Yeah. No, I remember I watched it um, a couple of days ago, actually. It was just something, a video doing the rounds on YouTube. And um, yeah, the amount of times David James just sort of over lunged into players because he let the ball sort of go loose after his terrible third touch or whatever it was. It was just, um, yeah, it was quite chockable. But um, yeah, he, uh, like you say, he's definitely the right kind of player in terms of his stature to have up there. Big target man, but um, yeah, not 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 too great with the ball at his feet. No, no. I suppose in terms of go- scoring goal score, uh, goalkeepers, rather, I think you're not going to beat Shilavere, are you? That um, Paraguay, is it Paraguay? I think he played for. Um, yeah. 30 odd goals um, in his in his career. He was impressive, but he was on free kicks and penalties, so, so that's. Uh, slightly twisted the figures but yeah he was he was the one to aim for I think yeah I think South Americans they they quite like um sort of uh goal scoring goalkeepers because I was it Tafarel for Brazil I think was a bit mm. of a um a machine in terms of sort of I think he was on penalties or something like that or yeah it was just um they would usually sort of allow him to go further up the field if if <laughs> if he could do I suppose like Edison if you look at Man City he's possibly got that ability to him as well there was always rumors that he you know he could play in midfield for City and there was always rumors that he was going to um at least Pep was going to throw him in on a dead rubber game but um apparently in training he does he does the business um outfield so you know never know it might happen one day he's definitely got an eye for a pass oh, absolutely his distribution game is just next level isn't it it's insane how good it is uh, the FA Cup, I suppose, is uh, the next best place to go. I mean, there's been quite a lot happening since we last spoke as well. Um, but yeah, I suppose the biggest game since we, we have spoken really has to be the FA Cup, especially not necessarily for the game itself, because I don't think the game itself was was too much to sort of um, sort of write home about. But the actual, the fact that the fans were back in the stadium and... Um, you know, when I when I, I didn't actually watch the game live, but I saw the replays, and um, yeah, it, it kind of put a bit of a shiver down down my spine just seeing fans back in the stadium and just kind of forgetting how it feels to 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 view a game with a with not a full stadium, but a fairly full stadium in comparison to what we've been used to for the last few months, few yeah, last couple of years really. So it's um, yeah, it was it was really great to see that. Yeah, it really was. It really was. And it was it was brought home to me just a moment ago, you know, watching that Cavani goal and, and him running to the stands and celebrating in front of the fans. And it was the same on, you know, on Saturday. Despite the, uh, I still can't get used to that start time of quarter past five or something. It should be, it should be three o'clock. It should be dedicated to the FA Cup that day. But, um, you know, that's just my uh, traditionalist head speaking <laughs> there. It was, it was impressive, you know. It was impressive to see the fans, um and and their passion as well. It just it just made the game entirely different, despite the fact that, you know, for for most of the game it was, you know, a bit of a cagey affair. It wasn't necessarily the the greatest FA Cup final, despite the fact that you know towards the end it was one of the greatest goals in the FA Cup. I, I would say, um, and a heroic performance from Schmeichel as well. So towards the end of the game it did you know it sort of redeemed itself. Um, but yeah, the, the fans made all the difference and uh, didn't quite appreciate how hated Ben Chilwell was. He was booed at every touch. <laughs> um, but uh, that was a nice nice to see, you know. It was um, a real revelation for me. Yeah, I'll tell you what else was nice to see. Uh, the owner 
obviously the son of um i'm not going to pronounce his name but the the son of the former leicester uh chairman and the owner um obviously who sadly passed away is it three years ago now um in that helicopter crash yeah three seasons ago wasn't it yeah it was after a game but it was really emotional scenes and it was really touching i i shed a tear i'm, I'm you know, I'm not afraid to sort of admit that. And it was, um, yeah, it was just really touching, especially the embrace between him and um, Brendan Rodgers. It was it was fantastic to see that. And it, it's really, as an Arsenal fan, and I imagine probably as a United fan, you kind of look at scenes like that and you kind of look at it with a bit of envy. Because it just, yeah. for me, I'd love to have owners that care about the club as much as they do for Leicester City. It was... Um, yeah, it was great to see that. I mean, I, I'm I don't know if we'll ever see the likes of Stan Kroenke come down and <laughs> embrace Mikel Arteta the way that the way that we saw on Saturday. But um, no, it was uh, it was great to see. It was. It really was. I think uh, I keep I always keep referring back to um, to Twitter at the minute, but um, it was another interesting tweet from Jack Whitehall, who's a famous Arsenal fan, obviously the comedian, and, and saying that if Kroenke came down onto the pitch, he'd have to be uh, told who's who's Arsenal and who's who's um, <laughs> to recognise him, which is true. To be fair, I think you know the, they're so distant from the you know from the actual realities of, of the football club and the passion and the support of the football club that they just it's upsetting you know when, when you look at the scenes on Saturday and you see what could happen and how a club could be run you know it, I'm not saying it's perfect I'm not saying that a foreign investment with you know billionaires investing into football clubs is the way to go I'm not saying that but at least they've got a, an eye for for what matters and then you know keeping that support on side and, and doing what's right in the community as well if if one of the Glazers came down it, you know, onto the pitch, got introduced to the fans, there'd be absolute hell on it, it'd be a riot. Um, and I don't think I'll ever see a time where that doesn't happen with United. And it's a real shame, you know. Mm. I think it's just that disconnect, isn't it? I think that's the the, the real issue that fans have. I mean, I, I know as Arsenal fans, I think the fan base are mostly sort of disgruntled with the fact that, um, that, that there just seems to be no real knowledge or um, understanding of the game itself or understanding the club. But I, I mean, I'm pretty sure us Arsenal fans are aware um, and that we understand that we have to have a billionaire in, in control of the club. There needs to be somebody of the, of that ilk taking control of the club. And, and, you know, that's possibly not going to satisfy a lot of people, but you, you have to at least show a bit of understanding and show a bit of passion and to show that you actually care about the club. And um, yeah, it's just, surely it's not, is it really a big thing to ask for? I mean, perhaps just even having a bit of a spokesperson there instead that somebody mm -hmm. does understand the club more, maybe that will help. And I think for Man United, that would be something that would be kind of desired for as well, I imagine. Yeah, you'd hope so, wouldn't you? You'd hope so. But it, it's going to be interesting to see how they react following all the, you know, Super League talk and everything. I think Chelsea have made some promising moves installing a fan representative at board level. Spurs have turned their back on their, their support. And, and you, you know, you'll be sad to hear, obviously, as an Arsenal fan, but, you know, the supporters' trust have, you know, they've been ignored. They've not been given a seat at the table um, during any discussions. And, you know, then charging 60 quid a game for the fans to, to return, you know, in this game week for a dead rubber. It's just, 
you know, it just shows what kind of, of club they are and their their level of class. I think United as well, they've made some, you know, sounds as for fan representation. Um, whether that takes place, I, I don't imagine it will. And if it does, it won't have any impact. It'll just be a bit of a whitewashing affair, I think, um, knowing the Glazers. So, yeah, it's going to change. It's going to take an awful lot. And I'll be interested to see if anything happens from this, um, you know, petition that's been launched as well um, for the independent sort of football regulator. Whether that has any impact, I don't know. You know, Boris came out in support of something similar. You know, he, he obviously um, saw the way the public mood was going and, and went along with it um, when he was um, saying all the, all the stuff that, you know, people wanted to hear. Whether or not he actually believed that is another matter. Um, so if, if something comes of that, then I'll be pleased. But, you know, I'm not holding my breath at the minute. I think the the, the last thing that a lot of football fans have at the moment is is trust for the elite and trust for the the people that should be making a difference and should be doing something about it. And it's, um, yeah, there's the authorities have, have let the nation down and, and the footballing community down so many times uh, and let society down as well. So it's... Um, yeah, it's not something that we should be holding our breath, like you say, mate. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, obviously, with, with you living in in Holland as well, you'll have heard the story of, of Ajax and and their gesture to the fans, melting down their trophy and, and sending a tiny little starter to every single season ticket holder. That's how you run a club. That that's the gestures that mean something. And if if people can take heed of that, then all the better. But we'll see. If you're enjoying the Triple F show, then you might enjoy our other podcasts. The Magic Of is a show which profiles special clubs from all over the world to find out about their history, culture and fan base. Under the Floodlights invites fans to talk about their favourite players and managers. And the Triple F cinema is where guests and I review weird and wacky football films. Yeah, so the, the television deal has got recently um, agreed for the um, broadcast rights for the Premier League, especially in... Um, you know, given that everything that's happened with coronavirus, um, I think what what was agreed and what was really interesting was the fact that they sort of rolled over the deal um, essentially. So they maintained the current uh, deal that that existed before. So it didn't represent a drop in value or an increase in value. They essentially kept to the same terms, which was interesting for a couple of reasons. Firstly, um, to negotiate the same deal, given bit of a stagnation in the market maybe was was quite an impressive feat by the Premier League so that's you know kudos to them whether or not any of that um that money finds its way down that that football pyramid is another matter so we'll see there have been talks of of that happening investments in, in in lower leagues so we'll see on that front um I think that's probably just a, a PR stunt so I don't expect any any great advances on that front the other thing as well was um it was a bit what I didn't like about it and it hasn't necessarily been widely reported is is the anti-competitive sort of nature of it it just meant that um no new broadcasters could bid for it no new deals could be struck so it had to stay the same and and effectively barring people from entering into that bidding process which was a bit of a shame given that there's now especially in 2021 there's been a bit of a shake-up in terms of providers and and whatnot so 
it represents potentially a bit, bit, bit of a short change deal for, for the consumer, I think. I mean, just off the top of my head, I hadn't actually worked it out prior to this, um, you know, this session now, but God, I must be paying three different providers. So there's BT, Sports, there's Sky, um, and Amazon as well for my football consumption. So well, Amazon, that's at £10 a month for Prime. Now TV's 30 quid a month, which um, gives me my Sky Sports. That's 40 quid off the bat. And then BT Sports is, is however much. So that's a hell of a lot of money to be spending out. And and frankly, I'm on a, on a pretty good deal. So God knows what other people are spending on that kind of money month in, month out. And it just... To, to increase competition increases choice and, and to have that that law effectively suspended which it was you know due to covid um makes it a little bit of a difficult pill for me to swallow i don't know how you feel about that yeah no it's um it doesn't sound great to be honest um yeah it's not something that that really um fills me with a lot of confidence or, or hope really but um I don't know, over here, it's a strange one because over here in Holland, um, we, it's it's kind of like I've gone back in time a little bit because we there's just one provider uh, and, yeah, you pay a fairly decent price. I think I pay like 30 euros a month um, for, for everything. Um, and, yeah, that's, that's just everything is on there. We get like Fox, um, Ziggo itself, and then there's a few other sort of sports providers. But yeah, I think that that was one thing that kind of appealed to me about moving out to Europe is that um, I'd always heard stories that, you know, people outside of, of the UK um, pretty much had pretty good access to sports. Um, so it's, yeah, it's a bit of a bum deal for, for everybody back in the UK to have to deal with all these horrible subscriptions and and yeah they, i mean there's a lot of working class people that I, I would say the majority of the football community is made up of working class people so they have to deal with that and contend with that it's yeah it's pretty unsavory to be honest yeah it is it is and just in in britain itself it's uh the consumption of, of football in the last couple of seasons, for me anyway, has been largely Bundesliga because that was on BT Sport and, and near enough, you know, four or five games a weekend, which was which was fantastic. And but that's the only really foreign league that we've got access to, um, apart from, um, you know, Scotland and, and and where is Spain, France, Italy? That's another subscription on top of that. So. It just makes it um, almost impossible to consume football now um, beyond the the obvious Premiership and uh, Championship games, which is really disappointing. You want more, and especially when when Germany got a handle on on coronavirus in in the first wave there, and it came back again. That was an absolute saviour for me, absolute saviour to be able to watch that. And there's been some right games in Spain and Italy that I've missed as a result of you know not being able to access it. Um, so we'll see, we'll see. It's been disappointing in France as well because that TV deal that ended up, you know, going out over tit. So all these clubs have ended up getting um, a lot less money than they budgeted for. So they're going to be in some financial difficulties as well. So it's a bit of a change, you know, in, in terms of uh, broadcast revenue. Um, 
mm. across. So maybe that that was one of the reasons why the Super League was pushed so much because they saw that drop in revenue and, and saw that drop in income that was coming. Mm. Yeah, no, I think with the Super League, there was obviously a lot of um, a lot of sort of mitigating circumstances and reasons as to why the Super League was pushed. Uh, I think it's been something that's been pushed for a while. So perhaps there was always this sort of general forecast uh, to see that the 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 glass ceiling essentially was going to break financially for for the football um, elite. So they 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 kind of needed an alternative. I do think a lot of the the Super League was kind of just driven by uh, Real Madrid and Barcelona for their sort of <laughs> utter desperation um, yeah. with the amount of financial colossal debt that they're in. Um, they they kind of needed it more than others. But then I think the, the, the other elite clubs kind of just jumped on the bandwagon because um, they saw an opportunity that um, perhaps this was the new direction football was going to go in. But... Um, yeah, it's uh, it's a strange one. I'm glad it didn't work out. I don't know what's your thoughts on on whether you believe the fans to have as much of an impact as I believe the the elite clubs kind of made out that the fans had an impact in. I think the elite clubs saw this as an opportunity to um, kind of wash their hands clean in the sense by saying, oh, we did this for the fans. I, I, I didn't really buy it. I think the reason why they pulled out, I think, was mostly to do with FIFA. Uh, and to do with um, UEFA and I think it was because UEFA either said to these elite clubs that you know we're going to whack on hefty punishments or we're going to do something or or perhaps we're going to you know we they offered um, those elite uh, uh, an opportunity to come back to the negotiation table and say this is how we will will go forward because I, I think the the elite were were pretty much uh, and the, the the people involved with the super league were pretty much um unhappy with how the sort of swiss model of of the champions league was was heading and i don't think they were too enthusiastic about that so i think perhaps that was another reason why i think it was our last discussion actually wasn't it i think one of our last discussions was to talk about this uh, this new swiss format for the champions league which has been implemented and i think obviously the clubs have accepted that but it was a bit of pill to swallow for a lot of them and um to be sort of undersold by um you know agnelli and and, and perez and all these players with this super league was a real shock to the system for, for a lot of clubs and I think I think you, you're possibly right in terms of the pressure from UEFA and FIFA um, was too much to bear for a lot of these clubs it's interesting I think I don't think Perez has really quite conceded defeat yet I think he's still fighting away but he's um, you know whatever he says is, is a bit crackers at this point sounds a little um, bit like Donald Trump to me doesn't it when when Donald Trump lost the election is that <laughs> Definitely, he was on about you know clubs have signed contracts and things, and, and you know he's going to pursue legal options and things like that. But yeah, I think I think you're possibly right. I think pressure that came to bear from FIFA, UEFA was too much for them. But then I wouldn't necessarily discount the fan pressure. I think without that fan pressure, then UEFA and FIFA wouldn't have necessarily pushed as much, pushed as hard. Um, a lot of the talk especially on social media and whether this was representative what like worldwide was of of pressure on sponsors i know a couple of liverpool sponsors pulled out um the 
training kit deal that Man United had um, with THG. It was it was a local Manchester-based company. So they pulled out, and and that was one of the most expensive training kit deals in in you know, you know, world football. So with that kind of money in, in terms of hundreds of millions of pounds, I think that helped as well. So without that fan pressure, they they those sponsors wouldn't have pulled out and, and wouldn't have had that that impact there. So I think a combination of everything combined, you know, had that positive impact and and saw it bite the dust. Hmm. Yeah, no, definitely. I, I yeah, I'm not saying that it was um completely uh you know um sort of not because of the fans or whatever, but I I do think that um that there was other sort of mitigating circumstances and, and like you say I think it was a, a big sort of collective effort as to as to why they pulled out um but yeah I mean I would have loved it uh that whole sort of romantic idea of it being solely because of fan pressure but um yeah I, I think money talks louder a lot of times so that's possibly just why I believe it to be that but um yeah I mean however it's come about though how, however it's finished I'm just pleased it has you know, I think it was. Has it? So, is this? Is surely this is going to rear its ugly head at some point again? Potentially, potentially, but that you know, if it does, it's going to come back in a completely different format. I would have thought. Um, I just, I can't, I can't quite imagine how people have have got this impression that they are the European Super League teams as well. I, I, I don't, for a second believe that they believe that those you know those sides yeah. are the cream of the crop every season Arsenal know, and Tottenham at- should not be there at the table at all I don't know especially Tottenham I suppose like our rich history we've won a lot of you know domestic titles in our history um but yeah we haven't won one for about 17 years so that's but Tottenham but what are they there for <laughs> yeah, yeah. well they're there because of Daniel Levy, you know, and his um, financial nous or lack of, shall we say, um, but, but massive clubs, you know, your Benficas, your your Ajaxes, th- those are the ones with history and heritage. That if you were really genuinely concerned about a European Super League, you would have invited to the table. So, you know, I'm I'm, I'm really excited to to watch um or at least to to watch the scores come in at the weekend for Serie A um you know Juventus failing to qualify for the Champions League will be supremely satisfying I'm looking forward to that yeah and uh, Liverpool Arsenal Tottenham (laughs) not qualifying for their respective you know expected European competitions as well It, it just you know it's ridiculous it's faintly ridiculous this whole idea that they're the elite yeah, it's like you say with Juventus possibly um, not qualifying for the Champions League. It's just that element of risk. It's that competition. It's that um, it's that challenge that we love to see as football fans. And I think um, you know, had the the sort of ESL gone ahead, then there was not going to be any of that. It was just going to be, you know, a sort of year after year, almost like a sort of NBA American sport sort of model that kind of you take relegation out of it and it's um yeah it's i mean it kind of works over there obviously it's a big popular sport it's still an attractive proposition but for me it's just so sort of far removed from what we're used to in european sport in the premier league in these big um leagues or all over europe so it would have been a very bitter 
pill to swallow. But yeah. um, it, I just don't understand how rushed it just felt. Um, mm. Just the whole concept of the league itself. Like if they actually came up with something um, of a much better idea of something that was a lot more competitive, something that was just um, a better product to to kind of um, to, to to just take in and sort of enjoy as a fan then then i think that probably would have you know turned people's heads a little bit more but it was yeah it was just an absolute shit show of an idea yeah definitely and it was a launch time as well that it was a sunday evening midway through a, a premier league game i think and then obviously the Solskjaer was put under under pressure to answer questions and to answer on on behalf of the club he'd never he'd not even been briefed about it you know and thankfully ed woodward has, has gone now but it was just the manner in which it was announced. It was nobody knew anything. Clubs were under the impression this Swiss model was going to be the way to go. You know, Seferin, who 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 is now in charge of that European Club Association, um, is is taking charge and ahead of Agnelli now, who left, had no idea about it and was in talks with Agnelli about the whole new European um, Swiss model that that's coming on and. And that was only taking place a few days before the announcement. Things like that. They were having conversations with all these clubs two, three days beforehand and not saying a word. And it was just so underhanded. And from a PR perspective, it was a complete disaster. If they wanted to launch this seriously, they could have done a such such a better job about it. And it was just amazing what they expected to come out of it. I couldn't quite believe it when it came out. What's your thoughts on Roy Hodgson? I don't know if you heard the news that he's stepping down as Crystal Palace boss. No, no, I've, I've only just um, heard that news, um, and not necessarily surprised. He is getting on a little bit. Um, he is one of the oldest, if not the oldest, manager across the you know continent. I would have thought. I don't think there's many too much, uh, too many older. It was a bit of a middling season, wasn't it, for, for Palace? I think they're mid-table and. and not really going anywhere fast. So he's consolidated their position in the league. So you know, he's done a good job. He's been a fantastic manager. He's been one of Europe's best managers in the, in the last however long. Well, it must be 40 years, four or five yeah. decades. So yeah. Yeah, yeah it's, quite, it's quite strange as well because a lot of the sort of magic of uh, episodes that I do, um, there's been two or three of them that Roy Hodgson has been involved with because I do sort of... Um, cover some random sort of European teams but I haven't dropped it yet but there was one on FC Copenhagen I didn't have any idea that I think he was manager there for about two three seasons so it was, yeah it was really odd to find that out and there's yeah there's a I think about 10 or 10 to 12 different clubs that he managed in Europe so it's um yeah it's quite incredible he's um he is a European citizen almost isn't he he's, he's in, started off in Sweden as well and and speaks fluent Swedish he's got such a, a talent and he is probably one of you know in, in terms of impact on the modern game across Europe it's, it's up there he must be um 
so it'll be interesting to see what his sort of legacy looks like um i wonder when or, whether or not he's, he's going to continue whether he's going anywhere else but you know i'm looking now he started off in 1976 as a manager before that obviously a player um for a little bit but yeah 1976 that's quite an impressive that's 35 that's years it's incredible who was his first team then uh, Halmstad. Halmstad. so yeah so 76 so that's 24 46 years 45 years almost so Halmstad in uh, in sweden there so at 73 though it must be uh time for time to put his uh his boots yeah. up i have a lot of respect for for managers that well, and players as well, especially English players or English managers that that go abroad, because it doesn't happen often. So it's nice mm. to see that that when when they do that. Um, but yeah, no, it's good. But there's there's kind of some rumours going around, little bits of rumblings that perhaps Frank Lampard, because I think there was a, a couple of rumours going around before Roy Hodgson announced his um, that he was stepping down from Crystal Palace. That Frank Lampard was was interested in the Palace job. So perhaps they they know something that we don't. That's um, yeah, possibly that might be a good fit. He needs to um, you know take a step back and consolidate his managerial career, doesn't he? So yeah, it'll um, it'll be interesting. They are a yeah. club with potential. So you never know. You never know. Yeah, no, it would be a good fit for for Lampard because um, yeah, it's kind of. You know, after, he doesn't really deserve anything above Chelsea, uh, but he does also doesn't deserve anything sort of below Derby, his previous job. So somewhere in between and Palace, you know, fits that mould perfectly. So, yeah, it's um, definitely be a good fit, I think. Yeah, 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 definitely. So interesting, interesting to see what happens. I suppose you wanted to talk about um, the Pokal. We have to talk about that, don't we? The, uh, the German Cup win for Dortmund. Yeah, so the the German FA Cup almost. It was um, a bit of a you know difference from the the English FA Cup, obviously in terms of scoring and how exciting the game was. So four one to Dortmund against Leipzig um, was quite impressive. And uh, Dortmund have really finished the season quite strongly, haven't they? Don't know how you've um, sort of seen the the last few matches for them, but they've been. It's almost like they've just lost their inhibition and they've just gone for it and and really um they've finished the season on a high obviously they're going to get champions league football now as well but to, to win the uh the, the pokal it's it's an incredible achievement um for the club and, and deserved i think you know i think they deserve it it's mm. um a good one good uh a good couple of goals as well Jaden sancho coming up with two as well and, and harland finishing off strongly so um it's certainly going to add a you know, one or two extra million euros onto his price tag, onto their price tag rather. So yeah, yeah, it was um, interesting. Harland's goals because his first goal was absolutely world class, an incredible goal, and then uh, the second one was <laughs> was a little bit fluky, shall we say? Yeah, yeah, but I mean, a result of four-one, it's um, you know, you're allowed to, you can be forgiven for one or two. Oh yeah, goals. of course. Yeah, it's um, but what I mean, Dortmund, given their form and, and run of form it was almost to be expected I think but um, with Leipzig they've really come off the boil haven't they a little bit since um, since the announcement of um, of their manager leaving so you know it's a, a bit of a a poor finish to the season I would have said really. is, it the, is it the management scenarios for both of these clubs as to why they are having the sort of fortunes that they're having because obviously 
we've got now Marco Rosa is going to be coming in at Dortmund. Um, is it perhaps that, you know, they, they kind of know that and they know that Erdan Tezic is, you know, this is more or less his sort of last game and there's not so much pressure there. And I don't know, it's, it's a weird one with, with Terzic as to why things are sort of clicking out or perhaps it's just um, it's just coincidence that that things have sort of started to click with with Terzic and, and the Dortmund players. Uh, but then also, if you look at um, Leipzig, obviously, um, uh, I've forgotten his name now. Nagelsmann. Uh, yes, so Nagelsmann's obviously going to be on his way to uh, to Munich. Is uh, um, has there been? Oh, oh yeah, so Jesse Marsh is now um, going to be the manager of Leipzig. Right. Right. Yeah. So he uh, obviously the the sort of Red Bull conveyor belt. Uh, he's coming from Salzburg over to to Leipzig. So I wonder if I don't know if it, if it's kind of having the opposite effect. Um for some reason maybe they just realize that Nagelsmann's going so perhaps they just don't care as much. I don't know. It's a strange one for me. It, it really is, isn't it? It's almost like they've down tools and and thought right, well that, that's it, you know, the we don't need to to perform for this manager anymore. There's no need to. But then he's always been a, a real people manager. So they've obviously got a lot of faith in him that players like him um i think uh, a lot of the Bayern Munich players will will look forward to um to him coming you know Gnabry at Hoffenheim when he managed there was um you know credits him for a lot of success as well so it's interesting isn't it so you can sort of see it it's almost two sides of the same coin you know obviously with um, Terzic leaving at Dortmund that lack of pressure now, that release of pressure that he was clearly suffering from mid-season, you could see on the touchline that pace in that sort of frenetic energy he had it seemed to have disappeared a little bit and, and released him almost from that pressure. Whereas Nagelsmann, by the same you know token, has he not doesn't necessarily have that pressure now anymore either. So is the effort needed he's got his job so it doesn't necessarily need to to perform but yeah it's, it's an interesting one how they've both interpreted that and and it was nice for Terzic I, I always enjoyed watching his his press conferences and seeing him and I, and I really did want him to succeed I thought you know he's a good young exciting manager and seemed like a, a pretty nice guy and it was um I think really interesting to see the the player response, the celebrations after the game um, at the weekend, because they really, you could see the passion for the manager. You could see that that love and appreciation for what he's done in what's been a really difficult season. So yeah, yeah it was a, it was it was nice to see that. But yeah, Nagelsmann, he could have done with you know going to Munich with a little bit more of a flourish, but you know, I don't think they'll uh, they'll worry too much about that. No, no, not at all. But um, yeah, I think with the <laughs> the type of well, the players that Nagelsmann will have at his disposal, it's uh, it's going to be a scary prospect as to to what they can achieve. Um, and he'll obviously have uh, Upper Meccano, who's um, <laughs> who he knows very well. If you're interested in coming on the show for an Under the Floodlight special to talk about your favourite player or manager please email the triplef2021 at gmail.com or DM the triplef84 on Twitter. All contact details will be in the episode description. Hope you're all keeping safe and thanks again for listening to the Triple F.
I think with Terzic as well, like you're saying, he's a very likable character. I don't know if you saw the um, the Twitter sort of post that he put out, or I think it was about 13, 14 years ago. He um, attended the Dortmund game as a fan, and there's a picture of him just in in the stands as a fan. And then, sort of 13 years or whatever it was later on, he's lifting the lifting the, the sort of domestic cup. So yeah, it's a really great yeah. image to see. Yeah, it's a nice story, isn't it? It's one of one of the the better stories to come out of European football in uh, in recent weeks. So yeah, that was really nice. But just, I mean, just on Leipzig, I think um, I, th- I just want to caveat what I, what I said really about Nagelsmann. I don't necessarily think it's a weakness in him and as a, as a manager. I think RB Leipzig as a club, I think had pretty much secured their position, hadn't they? Second, I think um, once Bayern Munich had, had raced ahead, I think it was. Pretty much a given that they were going to qualify for for Champions League football, which is what their you know their intentions were. So I don't think necessarily it's it's all down to to him as a manager. I think they'd set out, they'd achieved what they'd set out to do, and you know from then, where's the motivation? Where's the incentive to to go on and push on? Really, so it's mm-hmm. um, a collective responsibility for their lack of form recently. Yeah, no, that that's very true. Um, just lastly, then, like the um, I suppose the most exciting sort of title races at the moment are in two countries and that's Spain and uh, France. So, I mean, Spain's uh, in La Liga, obviously that's, um, yeah, very interesting. It was even more interesting sort of two weeks ago when Sevilla looked like they had a bit of a shot at it as well. But unfortunately, um, unfortunately they they failed to make it count. But um, yeah, it, it definitely seems to be between uh, Real and uh, Atletico at the moment, so the two Madrid teams. Yeah, it's um, it's going to be an interesting one. Like you, I was really invested in Sevilla. I really wanted them to to pull it off. You know, given that the, you know the top three were were part of that you know evil um, European Super League, so I wanted them to usurp it. But yeah, with La Liga, it's been a funny one, hasn't it, really? I think the, the last few games for, for everybody chasing that title, it's almost like they don't want it. It's like who who wants it least, almost. And I'm, I'm looking at the league now in the last um, run of results, last run of five results amongst the top three. I think there's only, out of 15 games, only seven wins between all those top three teams. So it's like... Do you want to win it or, or not? Who's going to grasp grasp it by the nettle? And I think Atletico Madrid getting a little nervous, maybe perhaps. But mm. um, it's going to make for a really interesting last game of the season. I'm really looking forward to that one. Yeah, no, definitely, it's going to be one to to keep an eye on for sure. Um, but yeah, I, I sort of mentioned the the French league because I think that looks quite interesting as well. Because I think there's only one game left in it now. Uh, and the three teams, I suppose, that, that are in for the title. Um, I, I think PSG and Lille are the closest. Let me just look at the the table now. But I think, um, so yeah, Lille are on 80 points, PSG 79 and Monaco 77. So it's quite unlikely Monaco, they would have to, uh, they'd have to really make a, They'd have to win by about seven goals, yeah. <laughs> and then and then hope Lille or PSG don't win, um, or even draw. So I think yeah, it's, it's obviously between Lille and PSG. But if Lille can just win against, um, who have they got? 
they played St. Etienne last time. The next game is... Yeah, so they're playing Angers, um, Angers. away, but um, PSG are also away to Brest. Mm. So, yeah, it's... Um, <laughs> going to be a cracking cracking weekend for Spanish and French football. Yeah, it really is. I mean, not forgetting the, the Coupe de France uh, tomorrow night as well with uh, Monaco and, and PSG. So, you know, as as much as I, I appreciate the, the sentiment of, of the owners of PSG coming out against the European Superliga, I'm not the biggest fan of their ownership structure either. So it would be nice to see Lille... Um, win that one and, and Monaco as well with the cup tomorrow so it'll be uh, yeah it's a really interesting title race for that one definitely yeah. no definitely I think like you say um, it was almost like when Leicester won the FA Cup it was a bit of a middle finger up to all of the, the bastards that were a part of the, the ESL and like you say PSG aren't a part of the ESL but I mean they, they might as well be they <laughs> they um, yeah they, they've definitely got um unsavoury ways about them shall we say so um yeah Lil winning the league and would um yeah would would I would certainly appease me and I'd be quite happy with it um and I think a lot of football fans would be secretly pleased to see another un- underdog win it as well so yeah, definitely, definitely. I'll just uh, I'm, I'm take a moment just to apologise to any viewers because I'm sort of slowly creeping this way off the screen <laughs> to be right there. <laughs> so I'm trying to avoid. And so by the end of this record, I'll be off the screen here. Just <laughs> it's not like me. I've I've actually got a wonky house to a point. So um, there are times where I sort of <laughs> slide off to the sides. So yeah. it's um... now I can't yeah. even see the screen. <laughs> that's cool no you you've you've kept in um in eye shot so you're all right mate um but yeah no i think i think that's pretty much everything that we needed to talk about matt so it's um yeah it's a pleasure to have you on again um and it was it's quite a strange one that um this was the first time we've actually spoken since all of the the european super league dealings um so yeah, there was a because <laughs> I, I it was funny that you, you I think like you said the last time you came on you were talking about the Swiss model, uh, and then this this European Super League was pretty much the Swiss model on on steroids. So um, everything really well the, we all know the footballing world absolutely exploded over the last two weeks. So it's um, yeah it was nice to finally get you on and and to talk about it all. Yeah, yeah, I've been itching to talk about it. It's um, pretty much all I've been reading about for, for the last two, three weeks. So uh, it's nice to have an outlet. I can't really talk to my wife about the uh, European Super League. It's, you know, as much as she appreciates um, <laughs> my, my love of, of football, she's not necessarily the biggest fan. So, um, yeah, it's nice to have someone to talk about. Cool. Yeah, me too, mate. I've tried with my girlfriend, but yeah, she'll just... As soon as, soon as I mention European Super League, she'll just tell me to go to another room. So, yeah. It's a, <laughs> it's a good feeling. Good stuff. Good stuff. Well, I will uh, I will let you go then. <laughs> cool. Cheers, Matt. Take care, mate. Thanks, Simon. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Triple F. If you could please drop a like on our Facebook page, subscribe to the YouTube channel, and follow us on Twitter, that would be massively appreciated. Hope you're all keeping safe and thanks again for listening to the Triple F.